The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH on Andy Off. Sorry about that folks, the mute kept clicking on, I don't know why. Today is Thursday, so it's time for our regular weekly visit of Dr Peter Hammond, so let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And what we've got for you today is a show entitled The Real Story of the New... Young Reformers Out to Change the World. So what can you tell us about this, Peter? Well, this world most certainly needs changing. And if God can change you, then he can use you to change some part of this world. And that our fallen world needs changing is without question. <laughs> we see all around us. In fact, we don't need to depress ourselves by reminding ourselves with how much is wrong, but we actually need hope for the future and we need a plan of action. And this is what this Young Reformers Out to Change the World is all about. It's it's actually the name of a Facebook page that got launched back in 2013. So even before I'd heard about the young global leaders um, that World Economic Forum was working on, we saw as we were heading into the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, uh, we launched a whole series of things back in 2013. And so 2013, in the run-up to the 2017 500th anniversary of the Reformation, we began to uh, study and preach through and summarize every book of the Bible, which was quite a big project and ended in the Old Testament survey and the New Testament survey and a whole lot of articles. The 95 Thesis for Reformation Today was launched uh, also 2013. And at the same Reformation Day in 2013, we launched Young Reformers Out to Change the World. And uh, a key part of this has been the Biblical Worldview Summits and mobilizing Reformation societies and home Bible study fellowships and encouraging these young reformers who've gone through a Biblical Worldview Summit or Great Commission course, which are all designed to make disciples of all nations, teach obedience to all things the Lord has command, apply the Lordship of Christ to all areas of life. It was a bold new initiative for Reformation. And there's a lot of young people, many of them coming out of home-educated uh, homes, uh, who have not been brainwashed in the state schools as indoctrination gulags, but have been brought up free from the defilement of Hollywood, free from the insanity of so much of, of not just Hollywood and the critical race theory and the 
gender confusion, LGBTQ perversion agendas and so on. Uh, These are are young people who maybe they came out of that, but they have rejected it and they are forming families which does not have the TV as the altar around which the family gathers, uh, but they they gather around the Bible. They're families that read the word of God either before or after their meals who are home educating their children. And there's a whole lot of, they're really going to make the future because these are many large families. And I'm seeing the growth. We're seeing the growth in our Great Commission courses, in our Biblical Worldview Summits, in our Reformation Day events, in our home education fairs and a variety of concerts and all of these different uh, events are uh, just in our area and we're seeing them replicated in other parts of the world too. We're seeing a growth in youngsters who are not interested in being part of this world that is in rebellion to God. They're not interested in the agenda of the world. They want to stand for family values. They believe in being straight, getting married, Having children, I mean, how's that for being rebellious? It <laughs> really goes against the whole globalist New World Order. Uh, going to be straight, going to be married, going to have lots of children, going to homeschool them. We're not going to have television as part of our home. Uh, we're not going to uh, send our children to be indoctrinated in the state gulags. We're going to build a new generation who's going to change the world. And this is the vision. Uh, we're involved in a clash of civilizations. If you if you look in the Bible, there's a, there's a wonderful verse in Acts 17, Acts 17, verse 6. These people who have turned the world upside down, they've come here too. So in the early church, it was a tremendous clash between the Christians and the pagans. And uh, to, from the pagan perspective, the Christians would turn the world upside down. Actually, they would turn the world right side up. The world was upside down. I mean, just think of the conflict involved in the early church, which you can see plainly in the book of Acts and the epistles. You had polytheism, worshipping of many gods, versus monotheism, the worship of one god. You had polygamy, the fact that a man could have several wives, versus monogamy, one man, one woman for life. Well, that's politically incorrect now. It was fairly politically incorrect back then too. There was massive immorality in the world versus purity in the church. There was idolatry in the state, whereas Christians stood for worshiping God and spirit and truth. Uh, There was Caesar worship or statism, worship of the state as personified by by Caesar uh, in in the Roman Empire. But here were the Christians coming out with the most rebellious statement, Jesus is Lord. In fact, Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's pretty unambiguous. In this world, slavery was accepted, normal. But Christianity stood for liberty. There was animal sacrifice, was part of daily routine in, in the pagan world. But the Christians stood for Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A once never to be repeated sacrifice. There's no need for animal sacrifice or human sacrifice. We have had one. Jesus Christ, the only righteous man who ever lived, has been the one sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Uh, human sacrifices were common at the time that Jesus came to this world. But Jesus died once for all, never to be repeated. Child abuse was very common. In fact, a man under Roman law had complete power of his children, even his grown children, uh, including over their life and death. And he could execute his wife, children, without any um, legal ramifications or consequences because he had full authority over his children. That, that was standard in the Roman Empire. But protection of children and A father loving, protecting, and giving his life for his family was the Christian ideal. 
there was tremendous abandonment of unwanted babies. In fact, the very term throwing them to the wolves is part of what it was like in the Roman Empire at that time. They would have areas outside a city where you could abandon unwanted babies completely legally. And it was illegal to adopt them. But Christians adopted abandoned babies. It is said that the early church in Rome grew faster from adoption of babies had been abandoned than it did even from evangelism. It was growing fast through that too. There was a lot of superstitions in the ancient world, and now it was facing biblical wisdom. Fatalism was normal in the Roman world, but fatalism was confronted by the faith of the believers. Occultism was normal, whereas what came through the gospel was freedom. There was bondage in, in the pagan idolatry and polygamy and polytheism. But now you get deliverance. Jesus sets the captives free. There was tremendous conformity in the pagan world where everyone had to conform to certain rigid ideals. But Christianity has always been against being conformed to this world, but rather to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Not the removal of our minds, the renewing of our minds. And there was tremendous rigid class divisions in the ancient Roman Empire. But in the church, it was Christian fellowship. And people of many different backgrounds could unite at level um, at the foot of the cross. And you could have people who were patricians and plebeians, all sorts, um, working together, worshipping together in the same church. Imperialism was the whole culture and vision of that age, but this was confronted by the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, remember, is going to replace all these kingdoms. As Martin Luther pointed out, that when we pray, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. What we are praying, we want God's will to be done. We're praying for Satan's will to be frustrated and to be stopped. When we're praying for God's kingdom to come, we're praying for all those other entities that are in opposition to God to be defeated and smashed and replaced. And that's the vision of the statue. Vision in Daniel, the head of gold, the chest of silver, the stomach of bronze, the legs of iron, the feet of iron and clay, representing the empires of the world, the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greece or Macedonian Empire of Alexander the Great, the Roman Empire, which split into two east and west, like the two legs. And you can uh, see plainly this, this picture in history that was revealed to Daniel. And then he saw a stone strike the base of the statue, and the statue crumbled to dust. The wind blew the dust away, and the stone grew to be a mountain that filled the whole earth. Jesus is that cornerstone. If anyone falls on that stone, he'll be cut to pieces. If that stone falls on someone, it will crush him to dust. And so it is so plain and clear that Jesus brought the kingdom of God to this world and initiated the collapse and judgment and replacement of all the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We've heard that sung in Handel's Messiah. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we are working for the kingdom of God, not for imperial Rome or any other empire, but for the kingdom of God. Now, Rome, Roman Empire extended through invasions, but the kingdom of God advances through missions. The Roman Empire lived by looting. In fact, they looted the world. It was a parasitic empire. But the kingdom of God exists to support charity, uh, love and action, uh, giving to benevolence to strangers, caring <clears throat> for others. Greed drives the world, but generosity drives God's kingdom. 
Selfishness is part and parcel of this world kingdom. But selflessness or self-sacrifice is the Christian ideal. And in many ways, the, the pagan world teaches you to hate, to hate speech you don't like and to call hate speech and so on. But the Christian ethos is led by love. And so by this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. So plainly we're involved in a, in a world that's upside down. It's the job of the church to turn the world right side up. Joshua said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so we have a clash of civilizations. We're living in a world war of worldviews. We must confront and counter the evil spirit of this age. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds, and you will be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what it says in Romans 12, verse 2. That our fallen world needs changing is beyond question. When our newspapers and films and media glamorize immorality, undermine the traditional family, encourage selfishness and greed and lust, and when criminals escape justice by legal technicalities, and when more than half the world suffers under some form of totalitarian dictatorships and persecution, when pornography and perversion and abortions and terrorism and occults are increasing, then you must know this world needs to be changed. But most Christians have abandoned their moral responsibility to bring the light of the gospel into heathen darkness. Many Christians are allowing their own children to be brought up by godless humanism in the schools, or what's meant to be schools, which are more like indoctrination gulags, and entertained by occultism and pagan magic and perversion, defilement through Hollywood films and television and much of the internet. There are many anti-Christian forces seeking to undermine and destroy the Christian faith including violent persecution by Muslim and communist governments and secular humanist domination of what are meant to be educational institutions but are more like indoctrination gulags. The entertainment industry, which is more like the defilement industry, and the news media, which is more like fake news and uh, distraction than real news. And then there's even the false gospels and unbiblical heresies within many theological seminaries, to more like cemeteries, and all too many churches which have abandoned the true gospel and are following after other gospels. We've also allowed ourselves to become misinformed, to become brainwashed and intimidated into feeling guilty for the great achievements of Christian missionaries and reformers over past centuries. Christians who are ignorant of history have ended up apologizing for those faithful Christians who converted cannibals, who ended intertribal genocide, who abolished child sacrifice, who defeated witchcraft, who won whole nations to Christ. And we meant to apologize for this. Many Christians have surrendered to the forces of darkness, have entered into negotiations and cooperation with idolaters, have demythologized the Bible to remove offensive passages of the Bible from their preaching and lowered standards to allow the unconverted easy and comfortable access to the church. In the past, the church went out to conquer the world for Christ. Today, in all too many churches, Christ is being sold for 30 pieces of silver or less. Instead of the church changing the world, the world is changing the church, and you can see it. For decades now, many Christians in the West have been turning away from God-orientated, Bible-based, Christ-centered foundations, which were laid by the Reformation. And instead, many Christians have been turning to man-centered humanism of the Renaissance, which always inevitably leads to the extremes of either permissiveness or totalitarianism, as seen in the French Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution. The result of this 
apostasy is plain to see in the abortion holocaust, the pornography industry, the political protection of perversions in the West, which even many conservatives today support, which is, you know, how conservative can that be if you support perversion? I mean, how difficult is it to recognize there's only two genders and marriage can only be between a man and a woman? I mean, how difficult is that? And now you've got a whole bunch of so-called conservatives falling over themselves to uh, protect politically perversion. And, of course, that while you must ban hate speech, which is truth that the left hates, um, you don't stop blasphemy or pornography because they don't seem to care about God. And these are conservatives, not very conservative at all from what we, one can see. And so the results of the apostasy are plain to see. It's political protection of perversion of the West and massacres and concentration camps in much of the East, such as in Red China. The results of abandoning God's eternal standards are revealed in the Bible. And those are families that fail to nurture and governments that fail to punish the guilty and governments that fail to provide security for law-abiding who cannot even protect their borders from invaders, schools that fail to educate, churches that fail to be house of prayer for all nations. Jesus said his house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Well, how does that accurately describe many churches that you know? A house of prayer for all nations? And what about the Great Commission? We're called to make disciples, teaching obedience to all things the Lord has commanded. How many churches have made the Great Commission their supreme ambition? In many churches, the Great Commission is more like the Great Omission. We're living in an age of guilt manipulation where all too many Christians are being prepared for slavery by the abuse of Scripture, by the manipulation of our emotions. And some of the key phrases in this campaign are love, unity, and equality, tolerance reconciliation. Nice words and noble sentiments, perhaps, but the slogan of the French Revolution was liberty, equality, fraternity, morte. Liberty, equality, brotherhood, or death. That's the full original slogan of the French Revolution. Liberty, equality, brotherhood, or death. Yet, despite the apparently good intentions of some of their slogan, 40,000 heads were chopped off by the guillotine. The guillotine went into overtime. If you don't really understand much of that, well, read Charles Dickens's Tale of Two Cities, get a bit of a feel of it. 300,000 other Frenchmen were executed by other means, like firing squads and so on. Europe was plunged into 25 years of war with millions killed, all in name of liberty, equality and fraternity. In the same way, we must be aware of the politics of guilt and pity which seek to manipulate our emotions and make us willing tools of evil men who know how to disguise their intentions. So by observation, we can note that some of the cliches used in this moral revolution have hidden meanings. For example, by love, they can often mean the passive acceptance of evil. By unity is normally meant conformity. By quality, well, you can find equality in the concentration camps of Red China, I guess, but who wants to live there? Uh, but tolerance is normally meant tolerance for evil, not tolerance of truth. And by reconciliation is normally meant surrender. Why should we disagree or fight? Be reasonable. Give in to my way and we'll be reconciled. And that seems to be the mentality of much of the left. And young reformers out to change the world don't want any of that. We want to go back to the Bible. We know it's a truth that sets you free. What is the solution? What can we do? Well, firstly, we need to study the scriptures to learn the objective truth. The word of God is a solid rock. 
It's the foundation. The word of God itself must be the judge and the solid foundation for all our actions. This is where the Reformation started. Until we know the word of God, the truth that sets us free, we can be easily misled. And so the first thing we can do is start reading the Bible for ourselves, studying the word of God, read the Bible before meals, a Bible before breakfast, scripture before supper, um, and uh, let's have a psalm before lunch. Let's put the word of God first. First things first. Start a Bible study group. Either join a Bible study group or, or, or start one in your home, in your school, in your neighborhood, in, in your uh, workplace. Let's make sure that the word of God becomes known. Solo scriptura. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. Secondly, we must warn our people about the dangers of globalism and secularism and humanism and multiculturalism and immorality and false religions like Islam and Marxist revision of history and the Gramsci strategy, the termite strategy, the cultural Marxist. We must wake up to what is happening around us and expose the tactics of these anti-Christian forces, the sabotans, the Illuminati, the Marxists. Thirdly, we need to recognize and realize that truth is not determined by majority opinion. Truth is determined by God and revealed through the word of God. We must not confuse change with advance. Change is not necessarily progress or advance. Neither must we allow ourselves to become guilt manipulated, refuse to apologize for the alleged sins of Christians of another age and place. And it's absolutely bizarre, the arrogance of people who live in a society where they don't know how to define the difference between man and woman, where they allow millions of babies to be murdered through abortion, where perversion and blasphemy are legally protected, where free speech can be clamped down on, and then they presume to damn to hell people of previous generations over our morality of today. What do we think the future will say about us? What do we think that the past will say about our generation and the amount of evils that we have tolerated? And here we are so self-righteous and think that we are better than people of other generations who actually in the light of eternity have surely done a lot more with worse things against them. And yet we've allowed so many terrible things to happen in our society, despite us having so much to lose. Well, fourthly, we must encourage our people. We must direct our people with a positive vision of the future without a vision a people perish. We need to instill courage and hope for the future and build up faith in God's word. We need to direct people in positive Christian action to put feet to their faith. People overcome by fear and guilt are not able to resist evil. We must turn to God. We must find forgiveness and freedom and strength through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. We must submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Now, Elijah dared to stand alone against the 450 false prophets of Baal and the 400 false prophets of Asherah. That's 850 to 1. But one with God can be a majority. Elijah challenged their heresy and condemned the idolatry. Elijah's faith in God made him strong and bold enough to oppose the majority who were wrong. And Elijah changed history that day on Mount Carmel by exposing falsehood and by turning the people of Israel back to God. You read about that in 1 Kings 18. Well, think of the people who've changed history before. Think of people like Professor John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation of Oxford University, who did the first translation of the Bible 
into the English language. And think of Professor Jan Hus of Prague University, whose motto was truth conquers, who was burned at the stake for the stand that he made against the papacy and against idolatry, superstitions and false doctrines. Professor Martin Luther of the University of Wittenberg and his bold stands, nailing Nanivar theses to the door of the church in the Schlosskirche, the castle church in Wittenberg. Professor Martin Luther said, my conscience is captive the word of God and here I stand. I cannot do otherwise, so help me God. Ulrich Zwingli, the great reformer of Zurich, the great reformer of Switzerland and, and Professor John Calvin, uh, author of Calvin's Institute, what did they achieve? And William Tyndale, the man who first translated the whole of the uh, New Testament from Latin, uh, not, not from Latin to into English as Wycliffe had done, but from the original Greek and Hebrew. William Tyndale, who had to do his Bible translation work in exile on the continent of Europe and Germany because it was illegal to translate the Bible into English in England. William Tyndale said that he would cause that even the boy who pushed the plow would know more of the scripture than the priests and the popes do. William Tyndale, whose dying prayer was, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. He died that we might have the Bible available in our own language in English. Or think of John Knox, the great reformer of Scotland, who was so fiery and effective in his prayers and in his preaching that the wicked Mary, Queen of Scots, said, I'm more afraid of the prayers of John Knox than of an army of 10,000. Wow. How many people do we have today that frighten the rulers of this world, who frighten the new world order by their prayers? We need to have people who can pray like John Knox and act like them. These reformers changed the course of human history by daring to study the Bible and by boldly speaking out against the unbiblical teachings and corrupt abuses and superstitions and corruptions of the medieval church. Missionaries like William Carey changed history by taking the gospel to India, translating the Bible into numerous local languages, by ending the Hindu practice of infanticide child prostitution, the burning of lives of widows and the funeral pies of their deceased husbands. They changed the world. William Wilberforce launched a lifelong campaign to end the slave trade and to set the captives free. And after a life of work, he succeeded. You see, we can change the world. If God can change us, then he can help us change some parts of the world. Eastern and tribal thought have a cyclical view of history. Repetition and the inevitability of history are so ingrained in animus thought and in Eastern thought, they see themselves as suffering history rather than affecting or making history. Easterners see themselves as caught up in a process of history and are at the mercy of the force of nature, the spiritual the ancestors, all external forces. They're helpless victims of external forces. But instead of seeing themselves affecting history or making history, they see themselves as suffering history. These Easterners or New Age forces see themselves as caught up in a process of history at the mercy of the force of nature, at the mercy of the spirits or the ancestors. They don't see that they're able to affect history themselves. This is in contrast to the Christian worldview, which sees a linear view of history, which starts at creation, goes through the flood and the giving of the Lord Sinai and the incarnation of Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his essential death day of Pentecost, and will culminate in the return of Christ and a day of judgment. And for this reason, Christians can say, we only have one life. It will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Every day is unique. Every opportunity can and must be used. Time is limited in the Christian worldview. 
that Christian sees himself as significant because we are an individual created by God with a purpose. And this emphasis on the individual is unique to Christianity amongst all the major religions of the world. We must each individually stand before God on the day of judgment. We will have to give an account of our faith and of our conduct. And each of us must repent for our own sins and exercise personal faith in Christ for forgiveness of our sins and for freedom from the power of sin. In Christian thought, nature is subject to us, and nature is able to be developed and used for God's glory. You know, we can channel the force of water and of wind and of energy of different sorts, and uh, we're able to change the course of history. We're able to sail the oceans. We're able to fly in the skies. We're able to do all sorts of things because nature is subject to us. We're not at the mercy of some arbitrary force of nature. No, um, our God is sovereign and he is almighty and his word is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe and God answers prayer. Uh, of course, there's problems in this world and of course there's solutions. But today we so often see people who on the one side refuse to see the problems like they've got the head in the sand. They don't recognize the problems in society and they don't want to recognize that we're in a world in rebellion to God that is uh, in route to an eternity in hell because it is self-destructive and it's hostile to God. But on the other hand, we have other extremes of those who say there's no hope. <laughs> so on the one side, you've got those who say there's no problem. On the other hand, you see, see those who say there's no hope. But there is hope. There is a serious problem, lots of them, and there is hope. Because, yes, we live in a world of fallen people who are in rebellion to God, who are breaking God's laws. Inevitably, that causes terrible problems. However, God is all-knowing, God is everywhere present, and God is all-powerful. And his word is the truth that can set us free. And God answers prayer. And so we can never say there's no problem while we live in a fallen world, and we can never say there's no hope while we believe in Almighty God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. The Bible teaches us to have a holy dissatisfaction with second best, a bold faith to trust God for the great things and to step out and to change what's wrong and to establish what is right in God's eyes. We must not underestimate the power of praying according to God's word and stepping out in faith and stepping out in obedience to his commands. It was this kind of faith that enabled Christians of previous centuries to end child sacrifices, to end cannibalism, to end polygamy, to end slavery, to end widow burning and other atrocities of heathen religions. They didn't walk around saying, oh, well, who am I to judge? And, you know, every culture's got their own ways of expressing themselves and uh, we, we mustn't interfere in, in their internal religious affairs. No, they said the truth sets you free and these things are wrong and we need to oppose them. But remember, you cannot have victory without a battle. Sacrifice and risk are essential. We can never win if we keep avoiding the problems. We must solve our problems by facing them and dealing with them. The future belongs to the brave and to the bold. And so we need to be those kind of Christians who say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christianity calls us to action. Now, the Eastern religions, by way of contrast, produce stagnant, backward, non-productive societies obsessed with self-meditation and fatalism. That's what you see a lot of in Buddhism and Hinduism. I must reach nirvana and I must uh, merge with the world consciousness. And, and they don't see the, the world as something that we can take dominion over and change. And this produces stagnation and backwardness. But as the West accepts more and more of the Eastern religions and New Age paganism and presuppositions of these false religions, much of the West is decaying on the inside through secularization, through permissiveness, through materialism. 
by neglecting God's word, by forgetting the the key Christian principles which made the West prosperous and free, our people are dying on the inside. There's that famous event when an African prince appeared before Queen Victoria and asked, what is the secret of Britain's greatness? And Queen Victoria handed him a Bible and said, this is the secret of England's greatness. And that's surely true. It was obedience to the word of God and the principles of God's word and of God's law that made Britain truly great. And a small island was able to rule up to a quarter of the world's population and land surface and most of the sea. Uh, Absolutely extraordinary. When they believed the Bible, when they practiced uh, respect for the Lord's day and for the Lord's name, and when they sought to be productive for the service of God's kingdom, Britain was able to be a mighty force for good and ending the slave trade and advancing the gospel. But as Britain has abandoned the Bible and betrayed their friends and kith and kin, uh, Britain is no longer great in any real biblical sense. And so we've got to see that by neglecting those Christian principles which made the West the most productive, prosperous, and free, our people have cut themselves off from the very source of their life. It's like cutting a flower. You can put it in a vase and it'll last maybe a week, but you know it's going to die because it's cut off from its root, from the stem, from the source of nutrition. And uh, that source in Western civilization was plainly reformed Christianity, the Protestant faith, the Bible, the Word of God. So you can see that there's a practical unbelief. There are many in our societies who have a form of Christianity, but they reject its real power. And many times you can hardly tell the difference between the stands of the church and the stands of the heathen. All too many obsessed with me, myself, and I. That's this existentialism, this self-centered experience orientation, which is part of humanism, where you don't care about the past, you don't care about the future, you don't care about others, you just care about me, myself, and I, my personal experience now. I think, I feel, I want, I need, give me. One of the results of this me generation, which is so selfish and prideful and rebellious against God, this obsession with self-gratification, it's that the cohesive unity of our communities has vanished. I grew up in a society in Rhodesia where even strangers were your friends and where you could trust your neighbors and you could trust strangers. We grew up in a society where respect for life and property and laws uh, were, were just ingrained and it was uh, you didn't need to lock everything up and we could pass, park our bicycles anywhere. We didn't need locks and chains. We could um, leave our uh, backpacks with school things um, uh, just anywhere in the side of the quadrangle or whatever, go and play, go into classrooms, come out of the hall and so on. And there was no fear that these things had been stolen while you were away. We grew up where we didn't need locks and keys, and but that has disappeared. And you see, as the keys of unity of our society is vanishing. Why? Because the family is the basic building block of society. That is why one of the uh, greatest acts of resistance to the globalist New World Order that you can possibly do is to be straight, to... Keep yourself for your future uh, marriage partner to get married, to have lots of children, and to home educate them and be a Bible-believing Christian. I mean, those are the most rebellious resistance acts that you can do in this age. Because this is a world in rebellion to Almighty God, full of self-assertion. I did it my way, doing your own thing. Long-term commitments seem to be no longer acceptable to much of the self-seeking generation, self-obsessed generation. It is the responsibility of God's people in God's church to offer our confused and searching young people an exciting challenge, a worthwhile cause, a demanding mission, and opportunities for action. 
But we must again teach our people by word and example of the need for long-term commitment and uncompromising stands of loyalty to God and to country, to church and to mission, to duty and to honor, to family and to friends. Personal, wholehearted commitment to Christ and his cause is at the heart of the gospel. We have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Are you committed to Christ? Are you wholeheartedly committed to his standards of duty, honor, and loyalty, no matter what the cost? By faith and by obedience, we can turn our stumbling blocks into stepping stones and our crisis situations into opportunities for ministry. We can turn the battles into victories because we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. We are overcomers through Christ. And so it's so vital that what we do is we join in in this a wonderful new movement of young reformers out to change the world. Those who've experienced an encounter with the living God, who have experienced God changing some part of their life, who delivering from sinful habits and, and lifestyles of the past, who want to be used of God. The word of God comes to us. Matthew 12, verse 30. He who is not with me is against me, Jesus said. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Well, for over 32 years, our mission, Frontline Fellowship, has been organizing Biblical Worldview Summits to encourage and equip and empower Bible-believing Christians to understand the times and to know what God's people should do. 1 Chronicles 12, verse 13. To understand the times, to know what God's people should do. We need this. Most Christians tend to be seeing the world in bits and pieces instead of the whole picture. Too many churchgoers feel like Christians, but think like humanists. All too many seem to have Christian hearts and sentiments, but humanist minds. The word of God comes to us in Colossians 2 verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. So growing out of our mission's 40 years of boots on the ground, first-hand experience in war zones and conflict areas of the world, we saw the need to call Christians back to the whole counsel of God to understand the world war worldviews that's raging in our world today, the clash of civilizations, this culture war, and to train world changers who will not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, who will say no to the brainwashing, the indoctrination, the intimidation, the guilt manipulation. No, we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can effectively disciple nations and teach obedience to all things the Lord has commanded. And we've had some successes. We've we've seen lots of Bible studies and Reformation Society groups uh, multiplying across Africa and other parts of the world. We've seen whole countries turn away from communism, overthrow their governments, and install Bible-believing governments. We've seen changes taking place in Zambia, in South Sudan, overthrowing jihadists, bringing about religious freedom. We've seen countries that used to have abortion legalized and pornography legalized abandoned, stores that used to stock pornography taken them off, whole chainsaws, thousands of stores freed from it. We've marched in the streets. We've organized demonstrations and protests. We've mobilized leadership training courses and biblical worldview seminars and great commission courses. And we've been mobilizing our young people to march for life, to stand for life, to demonstrate, to protest, uh, to get involved in practical action, to reform their schools or to homeschool their, their children, uh, to be involved in uh, beautifying their areas, cleaning up um, monuments. And we are getting out there and we're making a difference. We're doing things. We're not waiting for the government because they're not the solution. They're the problem. Uh, without realizing it, many sincere Christians have accepted unbiblical concepts and a secular humanist worldview and, and globalism. And the chaos in the streets in all too many parts of the world is a shocking illustration 
of how many Christians have failed to understand the times, failed to effectively disciple their nations, and failed to effectively engage in the culture as salt and light. And now more than ever, it is of the utmost importance for us to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. We've got to know what we believe and why we believe it. In this world of constant change and crisis, Christians must be able to explain how God speaks to the issues of our day, how to apply the Lordship of Christ to all areas of life. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and how to defend it in argument. And even more importantly, we need to know how to win our friends and family and neighbors and strangers to the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom, a good understanding of all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. So if any of our listeners want to be part of the young reformers out to change the world, who want to be equipped to make a difference in their community, we are planning a biblical worldview summit near Cape Town, 5th to the 12th of January, 2023. We believe in starting New Year the right way with good leadership training. So that week of the 5th to the 12th of January is when we have the Biblical Worldview Summit, and that forms the first phase of a three-week Great Commission course from the 5th to the 25th of January, which some may want to sign up for as well. And we've got people who've come from every corner of the world, from New Zealand and Australia to Canada and the United States, uh, from Russia and Germany, uh, from Ukraine, from Romania, uh, from Switzerland, uh, from all over the world. Uh, we have got people from Netherlands and uh, Belgium and Denmark who've uh, come through and joined us in these different areas from, from all over Africa as well. Light is more powerful than darkness. All the darkness cannot put out the smallest candle. That was the whole visual impact of the Leipzig prayer meeting, calling for the fall of the Berlin Wall and the bring down of the Iron Curtain, the opening up of Eastern Europe, the gospel, the seven-year Jericho prayer march. It was the candle. All the darkness cannot put out the smallest candle because truth is more powerful than error and darkness. Living as we do in a world of deception, it's so vital that we know the truth and that we committed to being truth seekers and truth tellers because truth does not fear investigation. And they're talking about hate speech because they hate truth, which in fact is speech that they do not like. And so they call the truth hate speech now. Well, we know that if it's a truth, it doesn't fear investigation, doesn't need laws to prohibit it. So if governments are banning you from thinking or discussing it and thought police are deplatforming you for it, you've got to know that you must be on target. You may want to consider training and working as an intern in a mission. We've got a Livingston Missionary School to train and recruit more world changers committed to seeking God's vision for our personal lives, for our families, for our congregations, for our country, for our continent. We need a renewed vision. We need revitalized leadership. We need restored Bible study and prayer meetings. We need to rediscover the biblical agenda and return to God in repentance, rebuilding the biblical walls of our society, which are broken down, resisting deception, defilement, and destruction, and resolutely working for a back-to-the-Bible reformation while we pray for a heaven-sent spiritual revival. And so if uh, any of the listeners are interested in being part of this movement, this movement for reformation revivalists, movement to change the world, this movement of resistance to the globalist and new world order, please contact us. Uh, we are setting up a network which is not just across Africa but around the world of those who stand for the truth and who want to rebuild this world, who want to change this world, who want to resist the globalist new world order and a so-called Green Deal. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes, now, um, 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have the wherewithal to help Frontline Fellowship, um, now is really the time to do so. Uh, the course is coming up. Peter and I would be delighted if you'd be able to attend the course. But for those of you who can't uh, and want to help somebody else, there is a sponsorship scheme that you can, uh, if you email Peter, now Peter's email address is going to be in the post for this show, as it is in all our shows. That is peter at frontline.org.za, or ZA, peter at frontline.org.za. Uh, you could literally sponsor an individual who wants to attend the course, but doesn't have the financial wherewithal to do so if you do. However, if you can't uh, manage that, but you want to support uh, you, uh, the course, you can still support the course. Uh, it, obviously, it's a, it's a large course. It goes on for uh, the Biblical Worldview Summit is the first week. And for those who do the Great Commission course, they stay on for another two weeks. So it's a full three weeks. You can imagine all the... Um, needs of these people on that course you've got food shelter etc etc you will see in the image for today's show uh the great commission course on the top of table mountain is that peter that's as correct yes <laughs> that's the high point of a course we literally hike up table mountain as as the culmination there's a lot of hikes seven eight sometimes nine hikes in a three-week great commission course every morning starts with pt it's we stretch minds and muscles we think body mind and spirit so important and of course the, the fact that you can overcome physical obstacles it's it's all wonderful when it goes along with the knowledge and the information so it's really head heart and hands so that's a symbolic part the last uh at night of our course, we climb up Table Mountain, all the way up, see the sunset, have a prayer meeting and Bible study and, and singing of hymns on top, and then we climb down in the dark. And uh, so that that's a, a picture of those who made it to the top of the mountain. We don't just let them hike. We give them backpacks of Arabic scriptures as well to carry because weight training is very effective too. So, yes, uh, we've got people who've been to these courses who have gone out and have really made impacts. I mean, many of them, whether they're talking about having played key roles in the independence of South Sudan or the overthrow of the Marxists in Zambia, what they're doing in countries all over Africa, from the Congo, Nigeria, uh, Zambia. It's it's a wonderful uh, heritage we've got of people. And, and of course, we're hearing of people who've gone out to be missionaries in Ukraine and Russia and who are in Romania and other parts of the world. So, uh, yes, uh, if you can come, you will not regret it. Many have said it's the best investment they ever made, time-wise and so on. But if you're able to sponsor someone else, there's always lots of very worthy, capable people who, ah, you know, whether it's transport or the cost of accommodation, we put on these courses free. We don't charge, none of our speakers get paid. Uh, we donate the books and so on. But there's accommodation, transport costs and, and catering. And uh, so at the present pound exchange rate and dollar exchange rate to RAND, one can actually cover a lot. So just for a couple of hundred pounds, one can sponsor a, a person uh, from a, a, any part of Africa who would be able to make a great impact. And, you know, I think it makes such a difference when we send out people who are part of the resistance and are working for reformation in the middle of, um, of many of these areas. It's, it's, uh, they send revolutionaries to undermine our studies. We send missionaries and reformers to re form or to restructure, to transform their communities. And I think it must be considered very subversive to the New World Order, but it's very constructive for the kingdom of God. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes, and folks, um, 
if you think that the three-week Great Commission course is sat in a classroom, then you are mistaken. Uh, the course, as I understand it, is essentially to teach people how to be missionaries. Um, and, of course, with that in mind, you've heard Peter's uh, accounts of his time as a missionary. He's been uh, jailed, he's been tortured, he's been bombed, he's been shot at. Um, all these things, and, of course just the rough terrain that you have to go through yourself as peter said when you go up table mountain you've got to go with the sort of backpack you would have if you were on a mission somewhere and there's no point um it's an age-old thing you know when i used to do some training in in the uh police force i did it in my kit rather than uh, in pe kit because that was how I'd have to do it on the street. I wouldn't be there in little trainers and, you know, what have you, shorts and a T-shirt. I'd be in a, a big kit. So I wanted to, you know, make sure that the moves that I was being taught with self-defence and unarmed defence techniques, etc., etc., was something I could do in uniform. So um, anything else that you can tell us in summary of uh, the sort of things people could expect on the uh, Biblical Worldview Summit first, Peter, and then the Great Commission course? Yes, it's, it's very um, hands-on, it's practical, it's a lot of fun, uh, there's teamwork, there's problem-solving, obstacle-crossing, um, there's all kinds of interactive events, and there's outreaches and hikes, uh, all this is part of it. We're in a lovely part of the world, and um, here in Cape Town we've got the oceans around us, we've got mountains and forests, and we make use of all of these as part of our training program. So, um, And in our city we've got many different communities. It's a port city. And so uh, people get involved in Muslim evangelism and evangelism of different worldviews and backgrounds. And and uh, people who come out of it, they say, I couldn't believe I could learn and do and achieve and experience as much in, in just a, a couple of weeks. And yet um, we have that here. We're at the utmost parts of the earth, Cape Town. Um, we're right at the junction. It was William Carey who over 200 years ago recommended the world's first missions conference, and he recommended in Cape Town. Well, he was so ahead of his time, the world's first mission conference didn't happen in 1810, as was recommended by, by William Carey, but in uh, 1910 in Edinburgh, and the first world missions conference in Cape Town took place in 2010, which I was part of too. And uh, that was 4,200 people here, and um, it, we are the utmost parts of Earth. William Carey recommended Cape Town as the best place for a missions conference because it's at the junction between east and west and uh, it's, uh, it's at the utmost parts of the earth. So here we are at the foot of Africa, but we've got a great mission and for 40 years we have been frustrating communists and jihadists and other totalitarians and globalists and we are leading a movement of young reformers out to change the world throughout Africa and I think you will see as we continue in this century uh, that Africa is going to rise more and more in leadership and uh, in many cases, you can really hear Christian voices speaking out to the West and condemning the West and resisting the West. And you just think of some of those bishops that I trained who were able to make public statements in Kenya and Sudan and so on at Lambeth Conference and uh, when Obama came along saying there can only be two genders and marriage can only be between a man and a woman. And this is not biblical. And <laughs> this one bishop uh, put it so well, he says that animals don't behave like this. This is un-African, this is un-Christian, this is unbiblical. We will not accept it, we will not do it. People who have ruined their own country, speaking about Obama, should not presume to come here and lecture our people on the way forward. 
Well, these are some of the people out here in Africa changing the world who are resisting the globalist propaganda. And that's why most of the resistance to the vaccines and the lockdowns and so on were in Africa. And uh, uh, you can praise God for the strong Christian foundation and the many Bible-believing people who fear God and who are saying no to the New World Order. And so there's a massive amount of resistance in Africa. I think they said less than 2% of Africa got vaccinated, by the way. That just shows you how the spirit of resistance is growing in our continent. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And uh, I'll also be including in the post for today's show the Young Reformers Out to Change the World Facebook page. So have a look at that, folks. And one of them who was on the Great Commission course this year has been on this show, Ryan Underwood. And he will be back in December. I've got him booked up again. It's very difficult for us to match up our diaries with his uh, commitments and my commitments. But that is a time we've been able to sort out. So he will be coming up uh, towards the end of the year. But if you do have that uh, show, if you have saved it because it's dropped off the website by now, or um, that, sorry, then then just uh, go go back and give that a listen again, and he'll tell you all about how important the course was to him. So you can see how much you can make a difference, not just to someone's life on the course, but to the future with what they may well achieve in some of the examples that Peter's given after they have completed the course. So we're out of time, but before we go, Peter, can you please let people know where they can find their work, your work and how they can contact you? Thank you so much, Andrew. Yes, uh, my email, peter at frontline.org.za, peter at frontline.org.za, and our website, www.frontlinemissionsa.org, SA short for South Africa, frontlinemissionsa.org. Thank you, Andrew. God bless. Thank you, Peter. God bless you and all at Frontline Fellowship also. So, folks, I want to thank Peter so much for joining me today on a program entitled The Real Story of the New Young Reformers Out to Change the World. I want to thank all of you for listening. Peter, I'll be back with you next week. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. Until then, folks, have a wonderful day and bye for now.